Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word tonight, if you'll turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1, and um, I want to uh, just share with you a word that's in my spirit tonight and just uh, minister for just a moment and encourage you this Christmas season. And um, um, so praise God. God is good. And uh, if you guys would turn the house lights up, that'd be great. In uh, uh, Matthew chapter 1, I want to read verse 23 to you tonight as, as, a, uh, as our text tonight. And, uh, and we'll start there and then just pray for me as I go through this. Actually, uh, this week there was a song that got in my spirit and I kept singing it all week long. And uh, as the week went on, I, as this song got in my spirit, I kept singing it and singing it. And, uh, and so it kind of got me thinking about some things. And so I just wrote a few things down and, and uh, kind of going to bring that message to you tonight uh, in that way. But in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1, um, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Say, God with us. God with us. And um, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to preach a few minutes tonight on Emmanuel, God with us, for just a couple of minutes. And, um, you know, Christmas is always, as you probably, uh, some of you have grown up in churches, and some of you over the years have had wonderful experiences at Christmas time. And I'm sure many of your families have traditions that you do, that you repeat over and over again, um, that have been somewhat traditions. But um, when I was growing up, uh, my parents would always take us on Christmas Eve to my grandparents uh, who lived in Cincinnati. My mom uh, was one of 10 children, actually 11, I think, one of 11. There were uh, nine boys and two girls. My mom was the oldest of all of them. So she was the one that had to take care of all of them and raise half of them when they were little because she was the oldest in the whole house. And, and she had nine brothers. Now, could you imagine having nine brothers? Maybe some of you have a bunch of brothers. But she had nine brothers, and um, it was always interesting. But on Christmas Eve, we would always go to my grandparents' house. My grandfather lived in a kind of a farmhouse that was on the banks of the Ohio River, uh, over in Cincinnati, just actually, their property was right next door to uh, Coney Island, which is right there as you cross the river into Cincinnati uh, uh, from from Kentucky into uh, the greater Cincinnati area over there uh, in uh, Mount Washington, I think is the area. California, Ohio is what it's called, but it's where Coney Island is. And we would go on Christmas Eve and be with family. And late that evening, uh, my grandfather had an old pot belly stove. It was an old stove. That's how he heated the house. And he would throw wood in there. And you'd walk in that house, it'd be 117 degrees in that house when you'd walk in. And of course, my parents would make you wear sweaters and you'd be sitting in the house all night long sweating and just sweat just pouring off of you. And, uh, and it was just a fun time, but it was tradition. And then my father had a, a pickup truck, and he had a cab on the back of it. And there was the days when kids could ride in the back. 
And so at Christmas, we all of us kids would pile on the back of that pickup truck with the cab on it. That's how we would ride home on Christmas Eve after the party. It could be 30 degrees, and we'd be riding in the back of that truck at 30 degrees all the way home um, from Cincinnati. But I just remember those were special Christmas times and moments in our lives. And, uh, but I want us to look uh, tonight at this passage of Scripture uh, and this phrase, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. I want us to look at it a little bit different tonight, and maybe God will reveal Jesus in a fresher way to you this evening as we look at the Scripture. And I began to think about this, and I thought to myself, I'm just going to approach it from this way tonight. Let me ask you this question, or let me put this before you. So what if you were God, and you were sending your son, how might you, or the marketing social media world we live in, go about trying to reveal him to this planet? How would, if you were God and sending your son into this world, or if this this world was sending Jesus now, how might you do that? How might you look at that, how the aspects of his life? And so we're going to look at the aspects of his life, his coming, his death, and the contrast of how we think and how God thinks how we would have sent Jesus, how we would have presented him to the world, and then how God did it, actually did it. And so we're going to look a little bit at that tonight and look at these ways and go about trying to reveal him uh, in a, just in a fresh way tonight through Scripture. And hopefully that this phrase, God with us, will mean a little bit different to you tonight when we're finished. But I'm going to try to speed it up a little bit because I do, I do have a little bit, but I want to make sure I get to the end and able to get to the end tonight. But let's look at it like this. If you were God and you were sending your son, uh, how might you do it? How might the marketing and social media world we live in go about trying to reveal him to this planet? First of all, let's begin by one, looking at his city of birth. How would the world do it? How would the world? The world would probably pick a big famous city, allowing for instant exposure and media attention, Um, a significant place where when he was gone, he could again build the National Messiah Library after he's gone, a big city. And, uh, uh, you know, he could have come on the scene in a big way. And if you were that day, you know, you may have chose Rome, which would have had four to five million people um, in, in, there, uh, in this city of Rome, or even Jerusalem that had 75,000 people and would swell to four and five times that during festival times. Maybe, maybe you would have chose a big city like that. That's the way we would have done it. We would have done it with this huge, uh, big, bombastic, uh, presentation of bringing him into the world through some famous big city. If we did it today, we would probably do it, pick a New York City or pick a uh, Los Angeles because we knew that the instant exposure and media attention would be immediate and it'd be a way to announce and bring his birth forth. That's how, we, how the world would do it. But look how God did it. God did it through Bethlehem. Uh, a city that was six miles southwest of Jerusalem that had a population less than a 1,000. And Micah 5.2 said, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, 
whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. In other words, the message is this. Surely no one could be impressed by the city of his birth. Is that right? I mean, no one could be impressed by the city of his birth. And so uh, there's the city of his birth. Second is his birthplace. The world, if they would be bringing the Son of God forth or be presenting Jesus to the world, they would probably have a tall building uh, with lots of reflective glass. It probably would have been a building with a, a nice glint from the sun for, uh, to highlight. They would have had the best doctors and the latest technologies and a spacious room, lots of seating for those, the many visitors that would come to see him. Uh, and it would be a place only Jesus would use to keep him completely sanitary and away from diseases. That's how the world would do it. They would do it in this big way with this big presentation But God's way was that after a long journey, only one thing available was a stable and an inn that did not have room in it. And and they brought and brought him in and found the stable and he was born in the stable. Now, if you and I had been there, there'd be a couple things we would, would have stood out to us immediately had we been there. One would have been the smell because with the presence of animals, of course, you get animal droppings, right? So we would have noticed the smell, the hay, likely the softest place for Mary to lay as she would get birth, the feeding trough in which they would have laid the baby Jesus in was also filled with hay marked with fresh animal saliva of the animals. I can only imagine people from our culture in our day were present at that moment. We would have we would have. Uh, nose and mouth mask on probably and probably passing around the sanitizer if we had been there, if we had noticed. And so if the world would have brought him in, they would have brought him in in this huge presentation of this display where, where it had been elaborate for people to see, but that's not how God did it. God brought him into a stable that was smelly. God brought him into a place that was much, not much noticeable, a birthplace that could, that could impress no one. It was a birthplace that impressed no one, a place where no one could possibly be threatened by it, but instead almost creates a pity towards uh, Jesus and his birth. And so, so we have the place of his birth, the city of his birth. Thirdly, his ancestry how the world would have brought him into the world, how we might have brought him in, would be coming from a rich, a royal, pure bloodline with no skeletons in the bloodline or closet of those in his ancestry. Uh, We would have brought him in as a royal, as from bloodlines, probably uh, from uh, pure bloodlines, from arranged marriages, uh, would have brought him in. But that's not how God brought him in. Instead, the genealogy of Jesus that is listed in Matthew and Luke reveal how the beloved purity of the Jewish line had been compromised. In other words, Jesus had skeletons in his ancestry closet. In other words, you think of those in who was in Jesus' bloodline, you see Ruth, a Moabite. She was a Moabite. She worshiped the God that required human sacrifice. There was Rahab, a Canaanite and a prostitute. There was Abraham, a man who threw his wife Sarah under the bus 
when feeling under, uh, insecure, uh, when going into Egypt. And he told the uh, Pharaoh that she was his cousin and threw her under the bus. You had Jacob, whose name means surplants, or um, who undermines, uh, which means he undermined his brother and stole his brother's birthright. You have Judah, who was a womanizer. You have David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. You have Solomon, who had hundreds of wives and concubines. In other words, that was God's way of bringing him into the world. And there was plenty of skeletons in the closet. Like many of us, nothing very special or too special about his ancestry. Then I thought about as parents, how would, how would, I, why, how would we bring him into the world? How would we pick his parents? We would probably search for the parents of the year type and maybe even hold a competitive TV show for his parents. That's how the world would do it today. We would have the bachelor or the bachelorette um, for, to figure out who Jesus' parents would be. And we would probably entitle it something like this, Parents for the Promised One, or the Messiah's Mommy, or Who's Your Daddy, or Game of Homes could be some of the titles. And once we had picked parents, we'd do lots of training, sitting under experts so that they could address the unique physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual and relational needs of the Son of God. And so that's the way we would have did it. But that's not how God did it. How did God do it? God chose a faithful and humble teenage girl and a hardworking, trustworthy man. Yet because of the way of conception took place by the Holy Spirit, Jesus grew up with the stigma of being an illegitimate child probably at times. That's how God brought it in the, in the way. What got me thinking about this is that this week I heard a song. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs, and it has become one of my favorite Christmas songs. And uh, when I think about this, when I think about God choosing Mary and Joseph, the thing that stood out to me is that Joseph had to be some kind of guy to have walked and stayed with his wife. He had to be an incredible man of integrity. But as I got to thinking about this, there's a song that just touched my heart this week. And I've been singing it over and over again. It was a song that's been written, that was written by a group called For Him. And it's called, uh, the name of the song is A Strange Way to Save the World. I don't know if you've heard that song or not. And, but in the song, uh, the, the song goes, Joseph says, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. And uh, in it, he says, why him uh, with as many rulers that are in the world? Why her inside uh, or why here inside this stable filled with hay? Why her, just an ordinary girl? And uh, he goes on in the song to say, Think of how it could have been if Jesus came as he deserved. No Bethlehem, no lonely shepherds at his birth. And, and of course, you know the chorus. I'm not one to question uh, what angels have to say, but you picked a strange way to save the world. And as we look at this, imagine... Jesus growing up with his parents, Jesus probably grew up with whispers uh, in his town of Nazareth as he attended Nazareth Junior High School where Jesus, uh, uh, when he went to school, there probably were whispers about who he was. Uh, there were whispers of the legitimacy of his birth, the claims of his birth. Um, folks probably were going around, well, he doesn't look like his dad. 
And, you know, not exactly the kind of patronage you and I plan uh, for the Son of God. But the message was his birth was vulnerable, open to uh, taking cheap shots from peers, identifying with those who struggle in life. I'm sure Jesus growing up probably had some of that. He probably had some of those things that came at him unjustly just from the rumors and the things that would have been said. And so his ancestry, his parents, um, and then his name, how the world would have chosen his name. The world probably would have chosen some smooth-sounding, roll-off-the-tongue, well, maybe a name that would be good in lights kind of name that would have stood out or jumped out at people when it was said. As I was researching this, I seen an article where a lady chose... The, uh, the lady had chosen the first name of her son. And she, the reason she chose it, is be, chose it was because she wanted to pick a powerful, wealthy, and successful name. And so she chose just a first name, did not give him a middle name or a last name, but it was all a first name, and this is what she named him. Uh, uh, she named him Square Sebastian Senator. That was his full first name, and he did not have a nickname, but she said that those names represented power, wealth, and success. And so had the world chose Jesus' name, maybe we would have done what most people do in the world is that sometimes when they're in lights or when they're being uh, recognized, they choose a stage name like many actors have done. Um, Let me give you a name and see if you know who it is. Uh, And maybe you may, maybe you're not. Peter Jean Hernandez. You all know who Peter Jean Hernandez is. Bruno Mars. That's his original name. Eileen Regina Edwards. You know who Eileen Regina Edwards is. That is Shania Twain. Uh, Stephen Judkins. You all know who Stephen Judkins is. Some of you older folks would know him as Stevie Wonder. Carlos Ray. Anybody know? You got to know who Carlos Ray is. Carlos Ray is Chuck Norris. Joyce Frankenberg. Joyce Frankenberg is Jane Seymour. Isser Danielofovich Dembski. You know who he is? That is Kirk Russell. And so if, if we don't like the name or if the name doesn't work, we just make it what we want to make it. We call people what we want to call people. And so that's how the world would have done it. But God didn't do it that way. God gave him the Hebrew name, uh, Yahshua, which is Joshua, Jehovah is salvation, or God saves. Through the Greek, we get the name Jesus. Uh, uh, through the Greek, we get the name Jesus. And Jesus. But here's what's interesting about uh, Yahshua, or Jesus. Yahshua was a common name, not, not you know, quite one appropriate for a king, especially the king of kings. And he may have had... You know, I'm sure that in Nazareth where Jesus grew up, there were several Yahshua's. It was a very common name. And the message here is this, is that Jesus was given a common everyday name, not standing apart from other people. In other words, Yeshua was a common name. It was a name that was common to him. And so his name, how we would have named him and how God chose to name him. And then his birth announcement. And uh, the world would have a gentle, here's how, here's, you know, I thought about this. I thought, well, how 
if I was bringing the Son of God into the world, how would I have done it? Well, I probably would have started with an a, a, a earthquake, probably. Probably with some ground-shaking earthquake. I would have shook the earth with it. And then I probably would have announced a loud trumpet sound, which the whole world would have heard. And then I probably would have put a message inscribed on the moon and probably would have increased the size of the moon so that everybody could have seen his name on the moon and would have known that something happened. And that's how I probably would have done it. And you, and you might be thinking, yeah, but Jesus had angels announce his birth and, I, and, 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 uh, and you didn't have that. Well, let me just say it like this. Let's just play that out for just a moment. Imagine for a moment that you had been selected as part of, of heaven's angelic choir and that you would be, and you, that you would announce the birth of the Son of God. And if you were an angel and you practiced for a hundred years, uh, uh, wanting everything to just be perfect for the concert of the ages, you're an angel and you've been chosen to sing at the announcement of Jesus' birth. And the word gets out via heavenly text. The time comes, you get a, an eternal gram. Today, today is the day that the Son of God is born. And you get your robe on, you find your place with the other tenor and soprano angels uh, on, and standing on risers. You tune up and you're ready to belt out and ready to sing. And all of a sudden, Gabriel pulls back the clouds. And when he pulls back the clouds and you look out, all you see standing there are five shepherds that are there. You're like, what? This is all? We've done all of this preparation and there's just five shepherds that we're singing to. It could have been less. Who knows how many it was exactly. Not exactly what you were expecting. You were expecting the rulers of the world or the influencers of the earth. Uh, of course, shepherds were not the uh, center of communication in the rim of that day. Uh, they weren't respected very well. And neither were they known as being uh, uh, those who... Who, are, uh, who you would use for great announcements. So what's the message? The message and the way that God announced his birth was hardly the kind of announcement for, most important, for the most important birth in all of history that you would think. And so there's the announcement of his birth. We would probably do it differently. Then there's his appearance. How would the world want Jesus to look? I mean, if you want... If this is the Son of God, how would the world uh, announce His appearance or bring His appearance? Certainly, He would stand. Uh, uh, he would stand out in the way that He looks, like you know, like someone some mentioned in the Bible. Maybe He'd be tall and strong and long hair with a trimmed beard, with piercing eyes, and and left to the marketers of today, maybe something you know. Uh, he would have had this appearance that would have been attracted to others. You know, when I first got saved in 1987, there was a movie that came out. I don't know if you all have seen it. It was called Jesus of Nazareth. Have you all ever seen that movie? It was an amazing movie. The actor in that movie, uh, 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 Scorsese, uh, 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 yes, Martin Scorsese, he's the one that directed that movie. But the guy that played Jesus in that movie uh, was an interesting guy. When I watched that movie, I was always taken back by the piercing blue eyes of Jesus in that movie. It's one of the great, great movies 
of the life of Jesus that I've ever watched. Matter of fact, it really built my faith early as a Christian when I watched that movie. I think the movie was made in 1986, 85, or 86. But if you get a chance to watch it, it's the life of Jesus. It's very powerful. And, and I was always just drawn to the piercing eyes of that man who played Jesus in that, uh, in that movie. And it was, it was very powerful. Maybe if, if the world put Jesus on the earth, they'd make him tall and they would make him appearing. But here's how God did it. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was very common looking. So much so, he was so common looking, uh, he could get lost. He could lose himself in a crowd. You all remember when he was younger, Mary and Joseph lost him in a crowd and they, they lost him. Judas, matter of fact, when he betrayed Jesus and came into the garden, had to kiss him to identify him despite the three years of him being in the public eye. And uh, of course, we don't know what Jesus has looked like, but Isaiah 53 gives us an idea of his appearance. And so the world would have brought him in one way, but God brought him in the way that he did. His appearance did not make him stand out, and his appearance didn't threaten nobody. That was the message. And then there's, this, there's his hometown. Let's talk about that for a moment. And uh, where would you want the Son of God to be raised? If you were sending him into the world, where would you want him to be raised? On a farm, in a city, uh, the suburbs? Uh, you have to consider uh, other family, the neighborhood, the friends that he would grow up with, where he would be taught. Um, and back in the day, it would seem wise to raise him, and that day, to raise him in the city of Jerusalem. Why is that? Because the city, it means the city of God, and its first name meant the city of the great king. But how did God do it? Instead, God sent him to a small city of Nazareth, nondescript dot on the map, 12 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee with a population under 1,000. The whole town was literally one big family. And really, Nazareth was a city that was full of the lineage of David. It was where many of David's lineage had lived and were, were from. And it was located high on a hill, far from the main trade routes of its time. A conservative town, mostly a farming town. And its Jewish culture... Um, had been radically impacted by the Greek culture that came into that area. And it was likely overshadowed by a nearby city, uh, Savoras, which was nearby. It was a luxurious Greek-style capital of Herod Antipas later. But, but the city that he came into, John 1, verses 45 and 46 says this, Philip now Nathaniel said to him, We have found... A hymn of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see. Why Nazareth and not Jerusalem? That's the way God chose. A small town with a poor reputation. Uh, it had a poor reputation with the last and the least and those of the lost. So, you know, there's the issue of his hometown. How about his possessions? How would the, the world, how would our Western world, ownership is central to, the, to our lives and family? How would we have brought Jesus into the world? We would have done it with great possessions. 
We would have brought him into the world because everyone wants to own a home, uh, a set of wheels or a car. They have a bank account. They, those are important values to us. Um, some use their possessions to put out as a vibe of how important I am. Some people gain status by their possessions. Certainly, as the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm 5010 tells us, the one who turned water into wine and who once paid his taxes out of the mouth of a fish, Jesus could be the financial baron of all of history. Of course, he could have been, but that's not the way God did it. Yet the scripture tells us about him, and Jesus said to him, uh, foxes have holes and birds have of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head in Matthew 8. He didn't own a home. He didn't even know that he had, uh, he didn't even know, we don't even know whether or not he had his own donkeys or what his means of transportation was. Remember, he had disciples that borrowed, uh, that borrowed and owned uh, a donkey on Palm Sunday. Absolutely nothing about Jesus in our thinking identifies him with possessions. And so in the area of possessions, certainly the upper land or palace privileges due to his possessions. That's not how he came into the world. And then I got to thinking about every Jesus, of course, um, needed a PR man and had a PR man. And every, every world, everybody, uh, the city was embedded uh, with the world would have brought Jesus into the world. He would have needed a PR man. And so we live in a world and a culture that is embedded with heavy marketing, uh, hip social media, and the selling of people and products. I mean, it's easy to do in our culture. You hire people to do it. You hire people to manage that stuff for you and who have the experience, uh, who knows everyone in town, uh, who is a great realtor, communicator, and uh, at times can do miraculous things. We would have brought Jesus into this world by hiring him a PR man that would have given him great exposure, that would have uh, known how to, to get his message out there. But that's not how God did it. Let's just say if Pastor Adam was doing a worship album, a new worship album, and he was breaking that album out, he wouldn't just hire anybody to do the promotion. He would hire somebody that had the experience and the ability to do it. And so, but uh, the way that God, God's PR man for Jesus, imagine uh, if you were having a showcase to share your new songs and you invited every key executive in the town to come thinking that this was your chance to, to maybe hit it big. And then all of a sudden walks in the guy who really was Jesus' PR guy, uh, who we know as John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' forerunner, and he was, he was a raving, tactless, offensive, uh, completely non-PC man who didn't care what others thought of him. Matter of fact, he saw the Pharisees one time and called them vipers. And he was usually dressed in camel's hair, and if you caught him right after lunch, you might even see some locust legs sticking out to the honey and dripping from his mouth onto his beard. This was Jesus' PR man. Jesus easily identified with some very strange folks at times. So there, were, there was his PR man. Then there's his associates, those who, who would be his associates. You know, one of the interesting things that uh, 
that happens in our world. When we elect a president, a president, like a president, gets to choose the best and the brightest to surround himself with and, and, and for his coming. And so, you know, we, how would we have picked the associates of Jesus? How would we have picked the 12 that, like Jesus? How would we, if he was our son and coming into the world, how would we have, who would we have picked to be around him or surround him and uh, around his, to be with him, uh, those around him? Well, we probably would have picked a few men who knew the Old Testament well, that knew all about prophecies and could handle themselves in any debate around him. We probably would have picked a few creative, strategic thinkers to maximize his message, a few public communicators with some charisma and to articulate and could command the attention of crowds, someone focusing on disciplining the next generation with his ways, uh, a prayer warrior who can covers it all in prayer, an administrator who keeps things running like clockwork uh, and keeps the house in order and communication to make sure that all the outreaches are done right, someone who, finds, who funds the whole operation, and then there would be the social media marketing guy who we would put with Jesus, and then, of course, also there would be a security guy just in case the crowds would get out of the control when he was around the temple or around certain places, someone who could help Zacchaeus get out of the tree if need be, and, and he would need a little extra help sending a message while cleaning, cleansing the temple. And so these, these are who we would choose. We would choose, uh, handpick these to be Jesus' associates, but that's not what God did. God picked the strangest crew ever to help carry on what Jesus did, did to change the world. He picked you know, swearing mouth fishermen. He picked a tax collector, a Jew hired by the Romans to shake taxes loose from Jews. He picked a zealot, a, a Jew trying to undermine Roman authority. He picked common, hardworking, uneducated men that, that ascent did not add, that, that accents didn't, their accent did not add to eloquence. Jesus chose those who were weary and heavy laden, whom the world uh, would, deem, would deem worthy, and he gave them his kingdom. The message is the crew Jesus hung out with would have been deemed a motley crew by others, which would have been interesting. But then we think of how he would have died. How would we have won him to die? You know, the world's way. In our movies, our champions die heroically glorious deaths. In our world, those who we look up to die these heroic deaths, I think of the movie William Wallace in Braveheart. Y'all like Braveheart? Y'all seen Braveheart? What a great movie. And it says, uh, uh, William Wallace, he is sentenced. Remember, he is sentenced to be hung, to be drawn, quartered, and finally beheaded. Yet he rises up to roar one more freedom as he cries out. And the exit is important, worthy of honor and admiration. Uh, but the death of Jesus was very different. God did it a different way. He died the death of a common criminal, beaten and flogged with a cat of nine tails, hung on a cross where he was pierced in his hands and feet and his side. The creator killed by his creation, a thief on either side of him, mocking him and laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. The message is his death was not heroic in the eyes of those of the time, 
but just a common criminal. And so I said all that to say this, to bring you to this tonight. There's a divine contrast between how we have positioned Jesus versus how God did it. In other words, how we would have positioned Jesus. Uh, he, he was, in contrast, a city of birth that would not intimidate a soul. A place of birth would not impress no one. An ancestry that reveals plenty of skeletons in the closet. Parents off to a rough start with a pregnancy before marriage. A name that was common as everyone else around him. An announcement to a few shepherds in the field that seemed hardly, uh, hardly appropriate for the most important birth of history. And a parents that threatened nobody. A hometown with poor reputation. Um, no underhand due to his possessions. He had no upper hand due to his possessions. He had a really strange PR guy. His associates were viewed by others as a bit of a motley crew, and his death was that of a common criminal. And so in this contrast, I think of the scripture, I remember the scripture I read to you at the beginning where it said that he shall, his name shall and and Mary shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, Matthew chapter 1. Because of God with us, in other words, because God with us, look who gets elevated in the story. When we look at that, in other words, Jesus, he wanted to be with us. When God is with us, he changes things. And so God with us means he changes things. What did he do? He elevated a little town called Bethlehem. He elevated a, a, a gal named Rahab, who was a Gentile prostitute. Uh, a young girl named Mary. Uh, shepherds in the field, a small community with a poor reputation. Common men who flipped the world upside down. Everywhere Jesus was, he elevated those whom he was with. Now, I wanted to say all that to bring you to this tonight. This is where I want to bring you. And for the next few moments, this is what I want us to see. It is say, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. What does that mean? It means two things. It means two things. It means that God with us means two things. It means with us in proximity and with us in participation. That's what the word means when it said God with us. Jesus came the way that he did so that he would never, uh, that, that we would never, that we would never be, they would never be mistaken that he was with us. He came the way he did so that he could reveal the fact that he would always be with us. God with us means two things, proximity and participation. Proximity means this, presence with with you in time and space and always near. That's what proximity means. To be with you in time and space and always near. Participation, a, a companion to enjoy and guide uh, with you doing life. In other words, God with us, Emmanuel, means that he's with us in proximity and time, space, always near, and that he's always with us in participation. In other words, uh, it would be like me saying to Pastor Adam, be saying, hey, Pastor Adam, I am with you in this. And I would walk through it with him. 
That's what it means to participate with us, to enjoy and to be guided by and to be guided with. Because Jesus came because he wants to be close to us and because he wants to participate in our lives. He wants to be a part of our lives. And we, when we continue in the, the gospel of Matthew, we see this expression of him with us. Jesus came the way he did because he wanted to be revealed to us in the fact that he wanted to be close to us in proximity and he wanted to participate in our lives. How many are thankful that God wants to be near you and that God wants to be with you and work with you and participate with you as you walk through life? I'm thankful that God wants to do that. We see this throughout the book of Matthew. We see a couple incidents in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Uh, the Bible says, seeing the crowd, he went up to the mountain and he sat down with his disciples and they came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and then Jesus began to be attitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. In other words, with you. He is with us. In other words, uh, all of these Beatitudes represent us. They represent us all. But Jesus, in his proximity, lets us know that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By being with us, he can participate in our needs in our lives. We see also in Matthew, it says, And when he came down from the mountain, a great crowd followed him. And behold, a leper came to him. And knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately this leper was clean. It is a picture of Jesus. In, in other words, lepers in those days, they didn't just walk around town. They had to announce who they were. They had to announce the fact that they were unclean, which had an effect on their self-esteem and who they viewed themselves as. And so what happened was Jesus bypassed that. He came to be with them. He did what no one else would do. He touched them, and he was with them. And so he was Emmanuel with them. He was in their proximity, but he also participated in their burden, and he helped carry their burden, and he brought healing to their lives. We read in Matthew 8, uh, the healing. Uh, a centurion came forward to him. And said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my roof. But if you say the word, my servant will be healed. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you, for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that moment. In other words, Jesus was with those who even had status. And he was close to those who had sadness. He was present with those who had great needs. Matthew 8 tells us that when he entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand and her fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought many who were oppressed of demons. And he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And, and Jesus touched those that were suffering. Jesus uh, 
touched those. He came close to those that were rulers. He came close to them all. And so I want to close tonight with this. And this is where I want to take us tonight. Emmanuel, God with us in both proximity and participation. My question for you tonight is, is how close in proximity do you recognize that he is with you tonight? Do you recognize that he is with you daily? Can you say that you feel that he is in proximity with you daily? Can you say that I, he, I, I allow him to participate in the decisions of my life? And sometimes we take Jesus and we position him how we want him. That's the purpose of the first part of this message. I was saying that if we chose how he came into the world, sometimes we would position Jesus how we want to position him in our life. We say, Jesus, we want you part of our life, but we want you over here. We don't want you in this part of our life, but we'll allow you in this part of our life. The question is, do you recognize his proximity to the tonight? Do you recognize that he is with you daily? Is he with you daily? Is he participating with you as you make decisions in your life? Is he with you? Is he guide, are you allowing him to be with you as he guides you? And so I want to leave you with this. I want to show you, do you, do you, uh, do you demonstrate God with us in your daily life? Do you demonstrate God with you in your daily life? If he is with us, then we should be demonstrating God in our life daily. We should, be, we should know that he's near in proximity, but we should also be participating with him and what he has for our life to do. And so if God with us means proximity and participation, it's not just knowing that he's near. It's also to know that he wants to demonstrate through us the work that he wants to do in our hearts and lives. Being God with us, he wants to go from being God with us to being God with us that works through us also. It's not just about him being with us, but is God working through you? Is, are you participating with him on a daily basis? And this is, how, this is how you demonstrate God with you in daily life. This is how Jesus did it. He did it. There's five ways Jesus did it. Number one, he did it by being available to sinners and those in need. Jesus came commonly so that he would be available to those and those who are in need, to sinners and those who are in need. Are you available tonight to sinners? Are you available to those in need? Are, are you, do you have availability? Because God is with you, do you make yourself available to those who are sinners and are in need? Two, he was vulnerable. As I told you before, Jesus might have been ridiculed. He was even ridiculed in, in ministry. There were times when Jesus healed one of the daughters of one of the rulers of the temple. And when he went there to, to pray for her, uh, uh, he, he said, she is not dead, but she only sleeps. And the Bible said they laughed at him. They mocked at him. And so Jesus made himself vulnerable. He made himself vulnerable with lepers and those that were sick and those that had disease. He made himself vulnerable to them, uh, uh, to, to ridicule. Sometimes faith takes the position that you have to step out and do something that others will, will laugh at or others will make fun of. There is a risk sometimes to live by faith. There is a risk sometimes to do things by faith. In other words, there's the ridicule. 
I remember when I first became a Christian and got saved, many of my, many of my friends mocked how I began to live differently, how my life changed, how I changed the, the way that I did things, who I hung out with, what I did. And sometimes when you step into faith, you have to step into the place where you say, hey, I'm going to do this by faith. But you make yourself vulnerable. But if God's with you and participates with you, you know that you can be vulnerable when God wants you. Maybe God wants you to go pray for that sick person or diseased person. Maybe God wants you to, to make a declaration of faith a strong declaration of faith that doesn't just say, well, God's not going to do that. God's not going to do that. But if God's spoken that to you, be faithful and be vulnerable to what God says. Jesus made himself vulnerable even when he was ridiculed in ministry. Approachable. Jesus demonstrated uh, by being approachable. All came to Jesus. Men, women, Jew, Gentile, poor, rich, religious, and sinners. All of them came to Jesus. The question is, are you, are you approachable tonight? God with us makes you approachable. God with you makes, you makes you approachable. And because of that, God allows you to participate in certain things. I remember just a few years ago uh, when I was in between ministries, I was working at a company and it was a reprographics company I was working at. And I was working there, and when I took the job, I was in between ministry. I really wasn't sure that I was even going to get back into ministry, and I told God that I didn't think that I would, uh, but God didn't listen. He didn't, wasn't going to let me get away with that. And so I was working at this reprographics company, and, uh, and of course, reprographics are plans and things that uh, builders make, and, and you, you print them, and then you... you uh, you know, you organize them, that kind of thing. So I was working at this reprographics company, and I thought, Lord, all I'm going to do is I'm going to do my job the best of my ability. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm a preacher. I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm a Christian. I'm just going to do my job, clock in, clock out, and go home. I had thought that that's, that's what I was going to do. Well, I got to working, and as I was working, this guy that I was working with every day, after a few weeks, he was like, hey, man, he's like... Uh, uh, he's like, I noticed that you, uh, uh, you're this way and you're that way. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, he said, are you a preacher? And <laughs> I said, well, what makes you think that? And he, and he, and he said, and it's like, I couldn't hide from it. I tried to hide from it, but I couldn't hide from it. And so what ended up happening was, is that he was having an adulterous relationship with a lady that was in our office and, and, and he was married and his wife found out and left him. And now he was stuck in this relationship that was going nowhere. And I kept telling him, I said, man, you don't want to lose your family. You don't want to, why do you want to lose your family? You don't want to lose your family. And, uh, and he's like, you think God would forgive me? I said, sure, God would forgive you. And over the course of a few weeks, would you believe that God put his family back together again? And his family got back in church again. And so the question is, do we make ourselves approachable are we make ourselves available, used of God? The fourthly, Jesus was humble. No one, and, and he saw no one or nothing beneath him. He never saw anyone or looked at anyone as beneath him. Jesus was always the one who was serving. Jesus was always the one that would serve. In other words, if Jesus was here tonight, I guarantee you that Jesus would serve, serve you. He was humble. There was a, if he was here in his humanity, he would have served us. 
He would have washed our feet as we know that he did with Peter. He was humble. And so to demonstrate God with us daily, we have to be humble. We have to be available. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be approachable. We have to be humble. But most of all, we have to serve. He laid his life down to better the lives of those around us. Have you laid your life down to better the life of those that are around you? Have you, have you served? Are you servants of God? And so to live a life that Emmanuel, God with us, not only near to us, uh, to recognize that he's with us daily, but also to participate in what he's called us to do. Are you cooperating with God in your life? Is God with you? Are you allowing God to walk with you and, and, and to participate in in the world, in this world with you. And the question is, uh, Pastor Adam, if you'll come tonight, or whoever's going to come tonight, if you'll come. I want to ask us, we're going to pray in just a moment, but where do you need to pay great attention to his proximity with you? Where do you need, where, where do you need to pay greater attention to his proximity with you? Do, do you need to say, God, I need, you to, I need to recognize your proximity with me. I need to recognize that you're near me. How, can you, how, how much more can we recognize his proximity to us? I can tell you by spending time with him, by praying, by seeking God, spending time with him. You, you, you become more aware of his proximity with you. I'm telling you, there are times I literally feel the presence of God with me. And I've gone into places and atmospheres where I thought, dear God, and then all of a sudden the presence of God would be on me and I would know that God's protection was with me. Earlier this year in June when we were in Seattle up in CHOP and I would walk into that place, my prayer every day, God, I pray that you'll be with me and protect me. And every, every day that I would walk in there, I would feel the presence of God. I would feel his proximity to me. But I had to make a decision to allow my life, to allow me to participate with him uh, in my life to do what he's called us to do. We have to participate with God. We have to, we have to engage more with his participation in our lives. And so do you demonstrate God with us in your daily life? Do you demonstrate God? Do you demonstrate availability? Do you demonstrate vulnerability? Do you demonstrate approachability? Do you demonstrate humility and serving? And would the people around you say that they experience and, and, and the touch of Jesus through you and your life as they, as, when they are around you? What, would the, what, would, what about this Christmas season? What about family and friends? What about strangers and neighbors? How, you know... Is he with you? Do you allow him to participate in your life? Stand with me if you would. In that song that I mentioned to you earlier, by For Him, there's a verse that says, Standing at the manger, he saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come alive. Joseph stood, and as he saw the baby Jesus manifested, he saw the message of the angel 
come alive. He saw it manifested. And as the chorus would say, this is a strange way to save the world. We would look at this and we look at the Christmas story. We look at the way we would do it. And then we look at the way that God did it. And we too could say that same thing. God, you've picked a strange way to save the world. And the truth is, he did. He did pick a strange way to save the world. But it's the way that he chose to save the world, through the birth of his son. And my prayer for you tonight is that you would have a sense of his presence in your life. You'd have a sense of his awareness and being with him. Emmanuel, God with us. His proximity would be near you. That every day you wake up, you would feel his proximity. You would feel his presence. You'd know that he's guiding you and leading you. And is he participating with you as you go about your daily life? And if he is with you and participating with you, we need to make ourselves available. We need to make ourselves vulnerable. We need to make ourselves, we need to be humble and be servants to be used of God as he chooses. So let's just pray. I'm going to pray for you tonight. I'm just going to pray that God will be with you, that you'll experience his presence like never before in the coming year. You'll experience his proximity, that he is near and close. I want to tell you, there's been times in my life when I've known that God was with me, that I knew without a shadow of doubt he was near me. I could could just feel his presence. I just knew that he was there. And there are times we need that. There are times we need to know that he's there. Even in times when our faith struggles to believe, we know that he's there. Let's pray tonight. Father, we just pray that, God, that we have an understanding of God with us, that we understand that you're near us in proximity. When we lay our head down in the bed tonight, we will know that you're near, watching over us. We know that Jesus came the way he came, so that he could demonstrate his proximity. He could demonstrate that he came near to man. He sat with sinners. He sat with the sick. He laid hands on lepers. He drew near to the brokenhearted. He drew near to the most vulnerable of society. He was near them. He was by them. He wasn't a respecter of person. He didn't come in a palace, but yet... He did not refuse helping those that lived in palaces. He came near. He came the way he did as a common common, common child in a common place in a no-name city. He came in a city that was reputation for poverty. He came in a place lowly that he may be able to equate with man, that he may demonstrate his proximity and demonstrate And he participated with those who would come in agreement with him. Many times he said, your faith has made your whole. Because you believe your son or your daughter is healed. Because by your faith, you will be whole and made whole. And God, we thank you. That God, that you've come close to us tonight. Your son has been brought into this world to come into this world, to be close to this world that is lost and without Christ. And we pray that you draw closer to this church and draw closer to us, that we make ourselves more available, we make ourselves more vulnerable. We become servants. We become those that are 
drawn to you to demonstrate your love and demonstrate who you are. And we just pray, God, a greater understanding of Emmanuel with us. We thank you tonight for your son and his resurrection power that has drawn close to us and lives in us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.